Our Father, we lift up this time right now. We bless it. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me the words of life tonight. Let your word go out as living seeds of truth sown in a good fertile soil as that awesome anointing of the Holy Spirit is present. Lord, to, to bring freedom, to bring healing, to bring life. I pray that the Holy Spirit, Father, that you would allow him to connect everybody to the word tonight, to where we get locked in to give you our best ear, our full attention. Lord, that you would anoint our eyes to see and ears to hear, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. And Lord, as you speak through me, that these words of life are going into good fertile soil of hearts and minds, that you would water those seeds of truth and let them take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we bind away anything of the enemy that would try to steal the seed or hinder. But Lord, I ask you for a great anointing and a great glory on this word. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me wisdom for your people. And let everything be accomplished through this time in your word, that your will to be done. We believe it now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. As I said before, I'm going where angels fear to tread, preaching on sex. Hey, but listen, this is funny. So talking about a good marriage, my wife knows me. She sends me this text right before church. So I am trying to set up and everything or whatever. And all of a sudden I get this text. What? It says, I have snacks in the Walmart bag in the outside fridge. Do not touch the cookie balls. <laughs> yeah, she knows me too well. But see, the problem is, she told me they were there. Yeah, so... Yeah, in a moment of weakness at some point tonight, there might be a missing cookie cookie ball, but whatever. All right, let's get into this. I'm going to talk about God created sex and marriage and talk about some issues. I'm going. This is a very pastoral word tonight, and so as I bring it, it's, it's from a heart of a pastor, and I'm not going to bring this in a way of trying to use a human marriage as an example because nobody has a perfect marriage. Okay, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bring it from a um, motivational speech or something like that. I'm going to go straight back to the Bible. And let me tell you, those that, that are called to preach the Word, you stick with the Word. Because the Bible has the answers for every topic in life that we need. Okay, And what is in the Bible regarding um, marriage, marriage relationships, um, sexual relationships, things like that, all of that is there. And if we'll take that path of life, it's a path of blessing, God's favor. But we have to get back to the Bible and see what the Bible says about these things. A lot of people don't know what the Word of God says, or even if they've heard it, they don't know how to apply it to their lives. So that's why God has brought people into the ministry, the fivefold ministry, to help teach the body of Christ so that the Word of God will be taught to you and how to apply it to your life, okay? This is real practical tonight, very pastoral. I believe that you'll get a lot out of this. You'll be very blessed, okay? So God created sex and marriage. He did. He created marriage um, when He brought Adam in the garden and then He put him to sleep, took a rib out, created Eve, Okay? Not meaning to get too deep on this, but it was as though Eve came out of Adam, so to speak, and God brought them together, and the Bible said that God called them Adam. So they were one in God's eyes, okay? The Bible says that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. They become one. 
And I'm going to tell you, becoming one is a lot more than just a physical thing. Becoming one in marriage, you really learn the other person. The other person learns you, and you pick up their traits. They pick up yours. And there's just something about it that you become one together, living together, cohabitating together. And it's a deep. It's the deepest relationship that you can have in this life. And then also the Bible spells out, I'm laying some groundwork, the Bible spells out what sexual immorality is. In Galatians 5.19, 1 Corinthians 6.9, and Revelation 21.8. The only sex that God permits is between a man and a woman in marriage. That's it. So any type, homosexual relations, okay, is, the Bible says, and it's an abomination to God. We love and care about homosexual people. There's people out there that struggle with that sin. Jesus died for them. It is His will that they turn away from homosexuality and they come to Him. And He will deliver them and change them and heal them and set them free, forgive them. And if they'll repent of it, they can go to heaven. But if they live in that lifestyle and they die in their sin, they will go to hell. And I'm not going to water that down to make anybody happy. And also the Bible says that any sex outside of marriage, meaning fornication, which is before you get married, two people having sex, they live together. Some people say, well, we're in love or whatever. The Bible says that that is sin. And if you live in that and you die in that state, you will not go to heaven when you die. Okay? So that's called fornication. Adultery is when you've come into a covenant relationship with your spouse and then you have sex with someone else. That is adultery. And adultery also is very sinful and will send people to hell. Sex, sex is something, sexual sins, is something that's very serious with God. And I'm going to break that down as we go tonight. I'm going to show you some things you probably, probably have never heard preached on. But I'm just laying some groundwork about what sexual purity is. And that God created marriage. Now I want to give you some wisdom up front too. Marriage is about death to self. Okay? Death to self being that you realize what your spouse needs in life. See, you know what lust is? Lust is just all about self and what I can get out of it. Using somebody else to get what you want. Very selfish. And people that are extremely selfish people usually have very bad marriages. Because all they think about is themselves, what's going to make me happy. But marriage has to do with a death to self and putting the other person first. And if both married partners will do that, and let me give you some of the best marital advice I could possibly give anybody is this. Quit trying to change your spouse and start seeking Jesus to become a better spouse yourself. If both people will just do that, I'm serious. That's the best marriage counsel I can give anybody because most people, if you listen to them, the husband's talking about, man, if the wife would just do this, this, and this. And then the wife's going, man, if he would just change, he's getting on my nerves, if he would do this, this, and this. But if both of them would just quit trying, quit griping about each other and quit trying to change each other and just get alone with Jesus and say, Lord, help me become more like you. Help me, help me to be a better spouse. If both of them would do that, 
their marriage would radically change. It's about death to self. I'm not living to please myself. I'm living to to help my spouse become more like Jesus, to love on them, to minister to them, to serve them. There's things that, that I've had to die to in myself. There's things that I've had to change. Um, not that it was necessarily sinful or wrong, but just things about me as a person that I've had to acclimate to Sandy because she's such a different person than I am. Do you see what I'm saying? And there's things about her that she's had to adjust to because I'm a very different person than her. Seriously. We reap, we reap what we sow. Here's another wisdom for you guys. We reap what we sow. If you will will pour into your spouse the love and what they need, you're going to reap out of that relationship. So one of the things, let me just give you some examples about this real quick. I'm trying to get past this part, but this is some really important wisdom. This is stuff to write down, I mean, to really pray about, okay? But if, if one of the things that men hate the most would be for a wife to, to continually tear them down and belittle them, especially in front of other people, especially in front of their kids... And that really, a man really, really hates that, and it really deeply bothers a man. I'm talking about all men. That's something in the psychological makeup of man that when women do that, and, and that's a trait that some women have out there, is to tear them down, tear them down, tear them down. See, the, what the woman wants is she wants to be close to him. And when I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about spending time together. That's what she wants. But listen, if she sows into that marriage that she's belittling him and tearing him down, the last thing he will want to do is to be around her. He would rather be anywhere else than in the same room with her. And so she's sowing, tearing him down, and she's reaping his distance. There's a lot of sowing and reaping in marriages. Just giving some examples. Let God do the work in your spouse. All of us can see in our spouse things because we live with them and we're so close to them. We see things in their life that they do need to to deal with and get closer to the Lord or whatever. But let me tell you how to handle that. Is to pray for them and unconditionally love them. But pray for them and let the Lord do it. Nobody likes to be controlled And nobody likes to be nagged. Amen? Amen. So pestering somebody to change something usually isn't going to work. It's going to bother them. It's going to get on their nerves. Pestering them, nagging them, or trying to control them. I want you to do this and try to bend them to your will. If they really do need to change in an area, pray for them. And believe God to do it. Because let me tell you something, you can't even change yourself, let alone change somebody else. So quit trying to change other people and pray for them. This is good stuff, and I can back it all up with Scripture because Jesus said that we try to pick the speck out of other people's eye when we have a two before in our own eye. That's what he said. 
And so the, all of this, I can back this up with the Word. So let me get into some things about sex and just go through this real quick. Sex is much more deeper than just a physical act. Much deeper. I want you to understand that not only do two physical bodies come together, but two souls come together and form a soul tie. Not only that, but the human spirit, your inner man, your spirit, can open up and connect somewhat with that other human spirit. And whatever is in their life spiritually can rest on your life spiritually. So when two people are having sexual relations, their soul, literally their soul, I'm talking about your personality, your soul is connecting with that other person's soul and it's like losing part of yourself into them and they're losing part of themselves into you and there's some kind of a tie that forms. And during that sexual union, your human spirit and their spirit is somewhat opened and there can be... The best example I've ever heard is the old cameras. Many of you won't remember this, okay? But the old cameras where you took a picture and the lens of the camera would open and shut real fast and whatever was in front of it captured to that film. That person in front of you during sex, it's like your spirit opens up and theirs opens up and whatever's in their life connects to you. Sex is one of the few things that can defile, spiritually speaking, a human body, soul, and spirit. Not just, not just a physical body. Drugs and alcohol, things like that can defile a body. But sex is something that can defile a body, a soul, and a spirit. All three. Many people because of sex outside of marriage, have lost themselves, much of themselves, into others. There's ties that are there. And I'll get a little bit more into this as we go, but they come to Jesus, but there's something there that needs to be broken. They need to have those ties to all these other people. They need to have that broken. And what has been lost or severed, they need that restored back into them. Let me read you some things. I'm talking about a husband and wife. A husband receives much more from his mate than a physical release in sex. He receives a deep sense of nurturing, spiritual replenishment and refreshment in union with her. A woman receives a deep sense of security as she draws from her husband's love. She is nurtured through the caring intimacy with her husband and protector. Sex is intensely personal and pleasurable. It is all part of God's plan within the marriage covenant. So within the marriage covenant, it's protected. But when you get outside the marriage covenant, you begin to open yourself up to all kinds of things. Are you hearing me? Let me give you some more advice. Before you get married, y'all wave at me. Who is single and wants to be married? Wave at me. Okay, there's, there's hands going up. All right. You better hear me about this one. Before you get married, you should take time to find out about your future spouse and their family history. Hear me. You better find out, is there witchcraft in the family line? 
Do they, did they worship other gods? Were they into Freemasonry? What is this future spouse, what, what is their past? Have they been sexually active with many, many others? What is it in their life that they need to get cleansed and dealt with? What is in their family bloodline? What's in my family bloodline that we can get that dealt? This is a time to go through inner healing and deliverance and go into marriage with a clean slate. You do not want to carry in generational curses. You don't want to carry in bondage from your past because I promise you, if it can come up, it will come up. Get it under the blood. Take time to investigate and hold nothing back. Be brutally honest with yourself. And, and you should, if, if that person, if you're going to marry them, you should demand that they be brutally honest with you. And if they're not willing to be brutally honest, then you need to reevaluate that maybe they're not the person for you. This is a time while you're dating that you get cleansed. And let me tell you something even about American, the, the way that American people date is not biblical. And in fact, I'm just going to go ahead and say that it's stupid. It is. You get people that don't even know each other and they're spending time alone for too long and it just opens them up to temptation. People need to go back to the Bible, but you don't find a lot of people that love Jesus that much. They're all about themselves. Alright, so let's dive into some of this stuff. Listen to Proverbs 5.5. 5. It says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion in your lips. Preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of her life. Her path wanders aimlessly, and she does not know it. Now, now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, least, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Now listen to this, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water to public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For her ways are in full view of the Lord, and He examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For they lack discipline. They will die, led astray by their own great folly. See, sex in the Bible, symbolically speaking, the, the man is seen as a fountain. The unmarried virgin is seen as an untapped cistern. 
and the well is seen as a wife. So let me read this to you. The fountain is seen as the man. A man is a strong sex drive, much like a fountain is a stream of water driven by internal force. When he's sexually active with his wife, he enjoys the release of this strong drive. An untapped cistern is the unmarried virgin. The Bible depicts a virgin as an untapped cistern or a covered well. Her pure waters are sealed until the day of her marriage. When she marries a man who has committed his life to her, she allows him to uncover her well and drink of her waters. Once a virgin is married and becomes sexually active with her husband, she is considered now a well. The well is the wife. A married woman... Like a well is a deep cistern that is continually filled with deep, still, refreshing water. She takes pleasure in her intimacy with her husband. In fact, this is what she enjoys the most about her relationship with her husband is the intimacy, the sweetness, and the kindness that he shows her. Thus, when the scriptures refer to drinking waters out of your own cistern, they are telling you to have sex with your own spouse. First Corinthians seven two says this since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband, I want you to remember some of these phrases, I'm gonna come back to them. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. What that is saying is, even if you're not in the mood, but your spouse needs affection or needs to have sexual relations, that you're not withholding that from them. That's what it's saying right here in the Bible. Do not, it says in verse 5, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I'll come back to that. But now I want to show you the fountain and the well. Now I'm going to talk about the polluted waters. Proverbs 23, 27 says, A whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. You know, when you look at a fountain, you guys have ever been maybe fishing in a river, been around a river, you can see the waters are clean, they're pure. In a well, you can drink from those waters and they're not going to make you sick. But if you go to a ditch and you drink waters out of a ditch, it's been sitting there in its polluted waters and it can make you sick. And it's saying that somebody that's been sexually active outside of marriage, they have become polluted and they're like a deep ditch in a narrow pit. Their waters are polluted. And when you connect with them, your waters become polluted. It says, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. She says to him, stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knows not that the dead are there, and that her guests guests are in the depths of hell. So sexual perversions leads people to death, and it leads people straight to hell in its polluted waters. Are you hearing me? The polluted waters of sexual perversion, the ditch. Can you imagine in a prostitute's bed the type of polluted waters that are flowing? 
the demonic activity that is there. Demons and disease are common in sexual sins. And the Bible says that you sin against your own body and defile your temple sexually. First Corinthians 6.16, I'm going to talk just a little bit about this, but it says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I want to just take a moment to encourage you. Some of you within the sound of my voice and some that are going to be listening to this, you've been sexually active outside of marriage. And you may listen to something like this and the devil tries to get you condemned. That's not what this is about. This is to help deter people from sin sexually in their life. But the Bible says when you become a Christian that old things pass away and everything becomes new. So those of you that have sinned against the Lord sexually, no matter what it is, the Lord, if you've prayed about it, the Lord has forgiven you and washed you. Amen. And the Bible says because of the blood of Jesus, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So it's not something the Lord's going to keep bringing up with you. And even though maybe your waters have been polluted in the past, the blood of Jesus can purify those waters again. Amen. And the Holy Spirit that lives in you will sanctify you. So just talking about some of these issues as I go, flowing with the Holy Spirit. But what I mentioned earlier, the Lord does not want us withholding sexual relations from our spouse. I've seen people that try to do that to manipulate and get their way. That's, that would be a Jezebel spirit. Let's just tell it like it is. But I'm going to tell you that I've seen it. And, they, and, a, and a woman will withhold sex from her husband just to manipulate him to get what she wants. But I'm going to tell you, there's been people that their spouse withholds sex from them and they're going to do like that they're going to belittle them and they're going to manipulate them like that withhold sex and then that spouse ends up being tempted and falling now I'm not justifying that because they're wrong for that but I'm going to tell you how God is about it he will judge the person for falling but he'll also judge the person for disobeying the Bible and withholding sex and manipulating them and doing that too and it's, it's sinful in the eyes of the Lord amen and they played a role in that fall. So let me get into some of this, and I, I'm going to make a few points. Adultery breaks the marital vow and can cause divorce. Adultery is a horrible thing. It's a painful thing. I remember seeing a, a video one time of a man that was in the waters of baptism. He was about to be baptized, and he was crying. He said he had committed adultery, and he lost everything. He lost his wife, his kids, his job, his house, anything that was ever important to him, he lost. It. And he was just shaking, and he was crying. And it's sad, but that's what adultery does. It ruins lives. But the Bible says that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Let me read you a few more scriptures and I'm going to explain some things. 1 Corinthians 7.10 But to the married I give these instructions. Please hear this. Not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband or separate from her husband. But if she does leave, she will remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. 
And the husband should not send away his wife. Malachi 2, 13 through 16, 16, it says this, And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards your offerings or accepts them with favor from your hand. There are people that flood God's altar with tears. They're crying out. They're praying. They're seeking God. And it's like God is not listening to them. He's not answering their prayers. Let me read to you why. It says, Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and your wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking, God was seeking godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against his wife of his youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. See, here's what he was saying. You're coming to me and praying and praying and praying and praying and I'm not answering your prayers because of the way you're treating your wife at home. And God says he hates a divorce. When we get married, divorce should not be something that's considered as a Christian. I understand that people are victims sometimes. They'll, they'll be betrayed and all of that. But divorce should not be an option We shouldn't think about it that way. You see what I'm saying? The people of the world go into marriage with the mentality, well, I can just walk out of this. That's not the way it is. This isn't a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. It's not like you just throw back your letterman jacket and walk off. It's not like that. Now, you've entered now into a covenant between you and God. And in God's eyes, it's for life. But God understands that sometimes people are a victim of, of a betrayal. That somebody cheated on them, adultery, whatever... And divorce happened. But God holds us as Christians to a higher standard. It says Christian wives are not permitted to separate from their husbands. How many times nowadays you see women just decide one day they're not happy and they're just going to go separate from their husband. The Bible says you can't do that. Now if there's a reason, if you're being beaten... Or there's a reason God does not want you in that situation. You need to go to your pastor and talk about it and submit under his authority and let him help you through it. There may be reasons that you need to. But you can't just decide one day, I'm just not happy and just up and walk out and separate. That's not the way it works. And do not withhold sex or affection from your spouse. Now, I want you to think about the ways that you give and receive love. Because all of us are different. Some people show love by buying gifts or doing things for other people. That's the way they show love. Other people show love by telling it. They say, I love you. And they'll tell them things that they appreciate about them. And that's how they show love. Other people are more affection driven. They want to hold hands. They want to be hugged. They want affection. Okay, that's the way they see. So here, herein lies the problem. Here's the wisdom of the Lord. If there's a husband that shows love by buying gifts, but the wife shows love by being affectionate, the husband's going to be frustrated because he keeps buying her things. And, and she doesn't seem happy. And she's going to be frustrated because he keeps charging up the credit card just to make her happy. And she's not happy. 
Do you see what I'm saying? So you need to find out how is it that, how do I show love and understand more about yourself, but also understand how does my wife receive love? And you're going to have to yield yourself. This is why I'm talking about sowing and reaping and dying to self. It may not come naturally to you. But if you will begin to die to self, and you'll begin to yield yourself now, and work on that, and try to be somebody that will surrender yourself to them and work on that, then you'll reap what you sow. So let me say that again. I want you guys to please hear this. This is a very important part. It may not come naturally to you. You may be somebody, please hear me, you may be somebody that speaks and you show affection through what you say. But your spouse may be somebody that receives affection and love through the holding hands and the hugging and all of that. And they may not come that natural to you to be that way. But if you will pray about it and let the Lord help you to die to yourself and meet that need in in your spouse and be more that way to them, then, of course, you will reap it back in your marriage. But it may not come naturally. There are certain things that the Lord has to help us to die to ourselves and more and more become one with our spouse. This is a big part of relationships because some people say, well, you know, I just don't understand how to make so-and-so happy. But begin to pray about it. And let me tell you something else about marriage. It's something that you're going to have to pray about. Not just work on, but you're going to have to pray about it. And relationships like marriage covenant relationships are relationships that the devil will target and try to bring as much division as he can. Because he knows when people are at odds at home and there's strife in the home, it really hinders their effectiveness for the kingdom. In fact, if a marriage is out of order and there's a lot of discord, actually God sometimes might have to pull them back and bench them and use other people until they can get that resolved. Here's some other things about marriage. The believing spouse, if somebody is married to an unbeliever, the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving and their children. Let me read it to you in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children were unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So it's saying there that if you're married to an unbeliever, and that unbeliever decides, I'm not happy, I don't want this Christian spouse, and they leave, let them go. And if they divorce you, then just move on with your life. You're not under obligation. Ephesians 5.32, I'm sorry, 5.33b, it says, Wives, reverence your husband. I'm going to get into some stuff now. Titus 2.3 talks about a virtuous woman. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. That really deserves an amen. (laughs) Nor enslaved to much wine, 
but teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, to be pure, workers at home, I'm going to come back to that, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. See, a godly woman is busy about the house. I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. A wayward woman, somebody... Did you know, listen to me, young men that want to get married, not everybody is good wife material. She may be good looking and all of that, but that doesn't mean that she's good wife material. She can. If, I'm telling you, there are some women that they don't like being at home, they don't care about taking care of their husbands, taking care of their kids, they're always wanting to be out of the house doing things on the town and that's a sign of a wayward type woman the type that probably will commit adultery but a godly woman is at work at the house taking care of her husband and kids and she's not upset about it she enjoys that and see she is subject to her own husband she's submitted to him the Bible talks about wives reverencing their husbands. Let me read to you 1 Peter 3. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Bible, they may be one without a word, but by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external braiding of hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord or Master, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of God's grace so that your prayers are not hindered. Now let me break some of this down. The greatest problem sometimes to an unsaved husband that's got a wife that's a Christian is his wife. Because she'll go to church and badmouth him and talk about what a piece of scum he is. And the last thing he wants to do is go to that church where everybody thinks he's a scum. Not to mention she'll come home and treat him like dirt. She said, why, don't you, why aren't you a Christian? And he's probably thinking within himself, why would I want anything that you've got spiritually? You treat me like dirt. And I've seen women that do it. And if they would repent of that and they would begin to honor their husband and treat them with respect and treat them the way they should be treated, the husband will see Jesus in them and he will want what they have. That's what it says. And it talked about wives being submissive and what that is, is being obedient. and hum It takes humility to be under authority. It takes a lot of humility to be under authority. Because there's times, let me tell you how authority works with God. God does not speak to everybody else except the authority. If there's direction that needs to take place, 
God speaks to the headship of the church, of the family. He speaks to the headship. He's not going to tell everybody else other than the authority and then have them tell him, tell the authority. It's not the way it works. God gives a grace. He gives a wisdom on the authority. And sometimes people under authority don't understand why are we going this direction? Why are we doing this? But God's grace and His wisdom is on the authority figure, the husband, to make the decisions. That's just the way it is. And it takes humility for wives to come under that authority and be obedient and be submissive. Submissive means to ask permission and to obey that with a good attitude. And also, let me talk to husbands for a moment, which I know the people within the sound of my voice here. You guys are wonderful men of God, wonderful women of God. But let me just tell you, though, that what it's saying here is that, husbands, your prayers can be hindered and God not listen to you if you mistreat your wife. Do you ever want to be in a situation where you need God to answer your prayers and he says, no, I'm going to ignore you because you treat your wife like dirt. You go home and walk all over her. You talk down to her like she's an idiot. And I'm not going to listen to your prayers until you, until you repent of that and deal with that. That's, that's the Bible right there. It says to grant her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers are not hindered. Friend, listen, I don't want my prayers hindered. And let me give you some other good counsel about marriage. We've got to be quick to ask forgiveness. This is a big one. Because everybody's going to blow it at some point. Every husband at some point is going to stick his foot right in his mouth. And every wife <laughs> at some point is going to do something, say something, and it's going to tick that husband off. And we, you know what we need to do? Is just humble ourselves and say, I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry. And you know what? It's really not that hard to do that. But some people, it's like pulling teeth. It's like they've never said it before. It's like their mouth has a hard time. It's just rounding and being able for those words to come off their tongue. You know, they've just been so prideful and they have such a hard time saying that. But listen, if we'll be humble and just ask forgiveness, probably 90% of marital problems can be solved by just saying, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have did that. You're right. I'm sorry. That right there will heal a lot of issues. And that leads me into this. A soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15, 1. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You know what sons are in the Bible? In the Bible, when you're looking at, at symbolism, children are people that are immature. But when somebody starts moving into spiritual sonship, they're moving into authority. They're moving into a place where God can trust them with things now. They're no longer little kids. Now they're sons of God. They have authority. God can invest in them something. So what the Lord is saying here is that peacemakers are going to be called sons of God. People that God can really entrust with authority. That's good right there. We need to be peacemakers. You know what the problem sometimes is? 
that whenever one spouse is upset and in a bad mood, the other one lays into them. But if we will be peacemakers, this is awful quiet in here. I need an amen. Somebody help me out. Is somebody trying to fold something and throw at me? Just looking around to see. Yeah. I'm safe. I'm safe from the live streamers. They'll just break their own computer screen. But anyway, peacemakers. Listen, when I preach this, friend, I'm, I'm preaching this as that this deals with all of us, okay? All of us are praying to become more like Jesus. Nobody's a perfect spouse. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And all of us have things to work on, but I'm still going to tell it like it is for all of us, okay? But we've got to be peacemakers. So whenever you see your spouse is irritated in a bad mood, do what you can to try to calm that down instead of throwing wood on the fire. Because you guys know exactly what I'm talking about when I say about pushing your spouse's buttons. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We all know how to do it, and they know how to do it to us, but we're not supposed to do it. I knew a woman one time, this is a true story, and, and I can have witnesses about this. She would sit back, and this is true, I've seen it. She would sit back and she would just ride her husband until he got so mad, his face would turn red, and he would just start cussing like a sailor, yelling and screaming, and then she would just sit back and just smile. I have a witness to this. And you're thinking, how does somebody get some sick, twisted pleasure out of that? But that's the way she, it just made her happy, just to get him in a, in a rant. You guys ever met those old couples and you see them and they just bicker all the time? It wasn't 1935, it was 1934. And they'll just sit there and argue, no, it was the year mama died. You know, and they'll just argue about every stupid thing. And I don't want to grow old into that, that bitterness, that anger, that strife. Some marriages, they're just, they were ruined a long time ago with these old people. and they, they bicker and they fight, they can't get along. That's not God's plan. <laughs> At some, you know, some way down their path of life, they took a wrong turn in marriage and they need to get back on track. But strife is a big door for Satan. Let me say that again. Strife is a big door for Satan. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger do not sin. Listen, it's one thing to get angry, but we've got to have some self-control. Y'all hear me? Everybody gets angry sometimes. That's not necessarily wrong. But you've got to have self-control because when you are angry, people have a tendency in anger to do things and say things that are sinful. So in your anger, learn to have self-control and not say something that's going to hurt somebody. And the second thing is, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's a big deal. I can just see in my mind's eye people going to sleep at night. They had a big fight. Strife was in the house. Unforgiveness issues. And instead of dealing with it before they go to bed, they just decide, forget this. Shut off the lights, go to bed angry. Unresolved issues in the house. And I can just see with my mind's eye like a spiritual patio door sliding open. And spirits like strife coming into that home and setting up camp there. 
And let me tell you, when you wake up the next day and there's a spirit of strife now, it's not going to be like things are better. The atmosphere will be sterile. And once, once there's really strife in a home, and the atmosphere is strife, it becomes a place that's difficult to pray, difficult to read the Bible, difficult to grow spiritually. Literally, it's almost like your food doesn't even digest well. You don't enjoy being home. And it's like when you sleep at night, you toss and turn because the atmosphere is not peaceful. It's hard to get a really good night's sleep. And it's easy to fight when there's that atmosphere in a home. It's easy that the littlest thing will just stir up a fight right there. Just stir it up out of nothing. That is not a spiritual atmosphere God has planned for us as Christians. God wants your home to be a place of peace and the glory. To where when you're in your house, it's easy to pray. It's easy to read the Bible. You can, you can get along. It's easy to get along. But that's where sons of God come in. People that have authority to come in and bring peace. We need to grow up in discernment. We need to discern that sometimes the devil is trying to stir up something. You know, sometimes right before somebody goes to church is when the devil's trying to get everybody in a big fight. And literally, that's a spiritual attack because he knows if he can get everybody mad at each other and unforgiveness and fighting, they go to church and they don't even get anything out of it. And if it works, he'll keep doing it until it stops working. And there needs to be somebody that's a peacemaker. You know, the Bible says that strife only comes but by, I'm sorry, contention only comes but by pride. If somebody will be a peacemaker and humble themselves down and say, wait a second, we need to pray. And ask forgiveness and pray. You may have to go off and pray. Then all of a sudden things will begin to calm down. Amen? But there's got to be some changes about these things in Christian homes. We can't keep going to bed angry and with unresolved issues as Christians. It's too much of a door. So to sum things up at this point, God's wanting husbands to be loving leaders, not tyrants that walk all over their wives. If somebody is that way, God's not going to hear your prayers until you repent. God's wanting wives to be submissive and to honor their husband, be, be reverent toward them, respectful, show respect. I've gotten crossways one time with somebody that was in leadership because they did that. They'd be disrespectful. And, and disrespect their husband in front of everybody, and I called them out on it. I don't regret it now. I didn't regret it then, and I won't put up with it in the future in leadership. That's not right. It's sin, and and it's not right to do that. And it creates it creates strife in a family. And another thing, God's wanting us as Christians that we're held to a higher standard, that we're going to begin to understand to die to ourselves, and to live. For the other person's benefit. Okay, If we can do that. If we can die to ourselves. Humble ourselves down. And let God use us. And quit trying to change our spouses. Let me tell you something young people. And you better hear me about this one. You think well I'll marry so and so. And then change them. Give me a break. No, no, that, that has never worked. But it's how ridiculous. Generation after generation. You hear that same dumb line of thinking. That does it didn't work. A thousand years ago, 
It doesn't work now, and it won't work a thousand years from now. Okay? It's never worked. The way somebody is, is the way somebody is. And we cannot resort to manipulation and control. Here's another big one. See, people get scared, they get afraid, and they want to try to control everybody around them. They, they have a hard time, like a wife that's real fearful, she has a hard time submitting to her husband. That's why Peter said to submit and don't give way to fear. But what happens is that they can't stand being out of control. They want to control their husband, control their kids, control everybody around them, and it's out of fear. God's wanting us to come up in faith that we believe Him. And let me say this too. Just because a wife is married to a non-believing husband doesn't get her out of submitting to him. She still has to submit to him. This is where the Bible comes in and has all the answers and all the wisdom we need. Think about it. Think about what I'm telling you. If we'll be peacemakers, if we'll sow and reap, if we'll die to ourselves, if we'll seek God, quit trying to change your spouse and seek God, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to be a better spouse and let them do that same thing. Watch how your marriage really is is wonderful. And start learning about how do you give and receive love and how does your spouse give and receive love. And try to meet that need in them and let them meet that need in you, but talk about it. I've had people ask, I'm going to go ahead and say this too, I've had people ask me about certain things over the years. I mean, I've been to ministry now for a while. I've heard a lot. And so I've had people ask me about things like pornography in a marriage or whatever, to spice up their married life. Let me just tell you this. Pornography is sin. The Bible says if you look with lust on somebody, you're, you're committing adultery with them, you're sinning. Okay. So even though you may be married and you're bringing that into your marriage bed, the Bible talks about your marriage bed being undefiled. And what that actually means is, is that it's just you and your spouse. Even though it may be pornography, it may be like a videotape, a DVD or whatever that you bring in, you're still bringing that into your marriage bed. You're polluting your marriage bed. And I'm going to tell you that pornography allows demonic spirits to traffic. Spirits of lust, things like that. People bring pornography in their home are bringing in demonic spirits into their home with that pornography. That those demonic spirits are coming into their their marriage bed sexually. And and let me say this too. If two people really love each other, there shouldn't have to need to be all of that. You know, intimacy with your spouse is because you love them and they love you. Now I've had people ask me, what about things like these adult novelty stores and stuff like that? Let me just tell you that there's a spirit about those places. And the things that are coming out of those places, I'm being serious. I've had people ask me, so I'm just going to tell you as a pastor is putting it out there, that the things people buy and bring out of there have a spirit about it. And they're bringing that into their lives. Okay, And, it, and it, with, there's something about it that's spiritually unclean. It's defiled. And it's not God's plan. Amen? 
And let me close with this. I want to pray about sexual purity. Satan targets people sexually. Like I said earlier, sex is something that really pollutes and defiles the body, soul, and the spirit. And that can even be through pornography. It defiles. It defiles the mind. And it opens up a door for sickness and health problems like few other things. Y'all hearing me? It opens a door for health problems like few other things do. I believe with all my heart and I always have that things like AIDS, sexually transmitted diseases, you know, you want to say, well, God's judgment, yes, but it's more of repercussions of sexual sin. It's like people choose that life and they and it attaches itself to them. But Satan attacks sexually. And I'm telling ministers, those that are calling to ministry, please hear me. But you would do well to not be alone with the opposite sex. Now, don't get ridiculous. I'm not talking about your mom, okay? I'm not talking about a relative, okay? Jeez. Sometimes you got to clarify with some people. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about parishioners. I'm, ta- I'm serious, though. I had a pastor friend of mine one time tell me he'd been in ministry a long time. He, and this woman had called in for counseling or whatever, and he went over her house. And she answers the door in a nighty. And he's like, good Lord, you know. <laughs> so he leaves, and he knows the next time he's like, this woman's up to no good. So she calls him once counseling again. She was upset he left. And so he this time, this time as a wise man of God that he is, he brings his wife. Well, whenever she opens the door in her little nighty, there stands the pastor and his wife. And the wife went off on her and told her a thing or two. Yeah. God, anoint that. Anoint that. See, what that is, that's that, that's that holy anger like Jesus had when he, when he drove them out of the temple. That's a good holy anger. Let that wife go and tell her off. I've been, if I was that pastor, I'd been back there, amen, or tell her sister, amen, tell her sister. <laughs> Let me give you some descriptions in the Bible about a loose woman, and then we'll pray. But listen, you need to understand that, that one of the tactics of the enemy is to send sexual attacks against ministers. If you're calling to a ministry right now, it would be a good time to get your Q-tip and clean your ear and hear me, because this is serious, okay? I'm, I'm being serious. Hear me good. Satan tries to send, he tries to target men of God with these type of women. Okay. Let me read to you red flags. A loose woman catches a man's eye by dressing seductively. A godly woman won't dress seductively. She lives to carefully expose parts of her body with low-cut blouses and seductive skirts she walks and moves in, a bo- in overtly sexual ways. She's trying to sexually draw attention to herself. That should be big, big red flag number one. Waving in the wind. <laughs> this is not a godly woman. Okay. Number two. A loose woman shocks a man by talking about intimacy without inhibition. 
Verse, verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 7 describes a bold woman who caught a man and kissed him passionately with lips that were burning with lust. She shocked him by talking about taboo subjects, such as his ability to make love, and her seductive words were to set his hormones on fire. But as somebody that has that mouth that just talks about sexual things like it's nothing, what happened to the days when, when a woman would blush about that? I remember I'd, I'd be around my grandfather, and he, he wasn't a Christian, and he would sometimes say something. If he was going to say something perverted or off the wall, he, would, he wouldn't do it around women. You, some of you guys remember these days. They're, they're long gone. I mean, women... I'm, I remember I was talking to um, Brother White, remember? He was saying to us, he said that there was a, a young man that was talking to him and his wife, saying, I don't even know any godly Christian women anymore. Where's, where's the real Christians and everything? I believe it's Sister White that said, I know somebody. And she introduced them and they got married. But listen, we're living in a time where, where Satan is really, where women will talk about things that, that years ago a man wouldn't even say. You know, we have these jokes about a sailor, you know, talking like a sailor or whatever. There's women that do that now. That's not a good sign. Another thing about a loose woman is this. She will reassure a man, God has put us together. Yeah, okay. So this situation right here is an adulterous relationship. Hear me, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about adultery, but she's saying God put us together. Even though it is adultery. Many a man of God has fallen into sexual sin right in the church, right in the church building after agreeing to counsel a woman alone in his office because the woman said, God told me to come to you right away. You're the only one that can help me with this problem and it just can't wait any longer. The woman in Proverbs 7 bragged that she had just paid her debt for sin under the old covenant law and she had just been at the church of her day. This is what I'm telling you. And, and men of God hear me because not only these seductive women that are sent to try to make you fall, but what about the ones that cry wolf? What about the ones that you were alone with for a time and then they go out saying something happened and it didn't happen, but it's your word against theirs? What are you going to do? So it's wisdom to always try to have somebody with you that can verify what happened and what didn't happen. Number four, a loose woman tempts a man with stories about her, how sexy her bed looks and how her room smells. This is in the Bible, actually. She goes on to describe in vivid detail just what it would be like to make love to her. Number five, a loose woman uses words of flattery and invitation to secure what she wants once she has painted a picture of desire and inflamed the man sexually. Come let us take our fill of love. This is Proverbs 7.21. Come let us take our fill of love until the morning. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. A married man whose wife continually refreshes and builds, it, builds up his fragile ego will not be susceptible to this attack of the devil. And that's the thing. I've heard over and over, story after story after story over the years of men that were married. And they fell into sexual sin, but it came out later that the, their wife wouldn't have sex with them. And then Satan sent somebody, and they fell. And even though they fell in that sin and God judges that sin, he also holds the wife accountable for her sin. That's good. A loose woman finally tells a man, we won't get caught, my husband's out of town. 
These, these are straight out of the Bible. Now let me read you this. An evil woman views sex as a game of power. She is driven by a demonic genius to hunt for susceptible men of power and prestige and bend them to her will. It's a game. She is especially attracted to men of great visibility, such as preachers, politicians, and well-known businessmen. She's not so much driven by sexual desire as by a desire for illicit power over the man. It's like a hunt. It's a game. Such a woman will actually plot and strategize ways to seduce the man in her sight. She might say, I bet he'll be mine if I build him up and flatter him just right. He doesn't look too happy at home. Anyone can become a target of a loose woman, the boss, the manager, the evangelist, the pastor, the politician, the Sunday school teacher. If a man falls into her trap, she destroys his very soul. Proverbs 6.32 says, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding, and he, do, he that doeth it destroys his own soul. Covered a lot of grounds tonight in this. If you a lot of scripture. But I want for everybody's marriage to become more enriched and more biblical. So here's, here's the thing. If we will take a moment to begin to look at the Bible and say this. If I'll quit trying to change my spouse and just pray for them and let, let God do it. And I'll ask the Lord, help me to be a better spouse. Help me to love them more. Help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to be more of what they need. Help me to be a better spouse. If you pray that and you're sincere about that, God will do work in you. And then let God do that in them. Make sure that there's order in the home. The husband has to be the leader. It's biblical. It has to be that way. And the wife has to come under authority and submit. Because if it's not like that, then it's rebelling against God and His order and it's going to cause problems in the marriage. Be a peacemaker. Be somebody, pray about this, be somebody that when strife stirs up, you're able to walk into the room and calm it back down. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. So a lot of times, if you'll just calm down your tone, it can begin to calm down the conversation. Just that alone. Just your tone of voice. Sometimes you might have to excuse yourself out of the room if there's a lot of strife and pray. And say something like this. I bind the devil. I bind strife. Get out of this house in Jesus' name. And ask the Holy Spirit to come calm things down and then come out of your prayer closet. You were in there for five minutes seeking God and come out and calm, and calm it down. Calm the whole thing down. Don't go to bed angry with unresolved issues. Even if you've got to stay up till 2 in the morning, determine, I am not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to let my spouse go to sleep until we get forgiveness for one another and until we resolve this issue. Oh, she may be mad at me, but we're going to stay, we're going to stay up. We're going to stay up. I'll go over there and turn on the light, right? I'm going to turn on the light. Turn on whatever. I, we're not going to sleep until we resolve this issue. This is good advice tonight, y'all. This is, this is Bible. This is Bible. Understand also 
What is it that your spouse, how do they receive love? Because if you keep buying them gifts and that don't mean much to them, it's going to be frustrating for everybody. But do gifts mean something to them? Some women, it really means something to them. He left a rose, you know, and it just, oh, just, other women are like, other women are like, yeah, he left a rose, but why didn't he take me out on a date? I want to spend time with him. Other, other women are like, forget the date. Why doesn't he just hug me and hold me while we watch TV or whatever? So figure out how this, how, how is it that your spouse receives, because there's certain things that, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, Sandy's had to learn about me. I've had to learn about her. And I, but I don't want to use, I don't want to use examples so much. I want to stay with the Bible and use that, you know, but we've got to understand that the way that somebody receives love, it varies from person to person, you know, and so understanding what really means something to them and let God help you. And let me, let me say this too. You can't really change yourself. You may want to. But if you'll learn to pray about it. Say, Lord, I'm falling short here. I'm falling short. I'm trying to make this person happy. Obviously, it's not working. I'm trying. And I'm having a hard time with this. Now, I'm asking you, please help me. God will help you. He will help you. And understanding that before you get married, you need to make sure that you go through deliverance, you and your future spouse, and you get everything dealt with. And those of you that are married now, and you haven't gone through that, you need to go through that inner healing deliverance and pray about stuff. Because if there is generational stuff, I'm telling you, it has an effect. And if there's stuff from your past, it has an effect, which I know most of you have been through inner healing and deliverance. But just going through that and getting all the baggage cleaned out. And just keeping the marriage bed undefiled. Keep it holy. Keep sexual sins out. Some people may have been very sexually active in the past. There's a lot of, there's a lot of polluted waters. And I feel like the Lord's wanting to cleanse those polluted waters. And sever soul ties. But you've got to humble yourself. And let the Lord do it. Anyway, I covered a lot of ground tonight, a lot of different points, but I really feel that this, you know, being funny about some things and all that, but truthfully, this can really change our lives if we'll apply all this. So Lord, I just pray right now for all of us that help us to be better spouses. Quit trying to change so-and-so, you know, just... Help us. Help us to be more like Jesus. Better spouses. Help us to die to ourselves and live to make the other person happy and not be selfish. And Lord, I pray if there's been any strife, your grace about now being peacemakers and determined. We're not going to go to bed angry with unresolved issues. We're going to deal with that, but also keeping peace in the home. And Lord, your grace about order, the husband leading, 
wives being submitted, children honoring, obeying their parents, Lord, that there'll be order in the home. Because I feel in my heart, Lord, that revival's here, but it's going to perpetuate and increase. And as heart, the harvest keeps coming in, that the Lord is looking for strong marriages and homes that are in order. And that's going to have something to do with people that He can use. It's important. Because the devil wants to target homes. And when a home's out of order, or there's sin, there's things that aren't right, the Lord can't really use those people until they get their home in order the way He wants to. And so, Lord, I pray for a grace that now homes get in order and things get cleaned up and dealt with. And, Lord, maybe some people need to go through their home and need to cleanse out anything like old ungodly movies that they've had from times past that they have shelved somewhere. Maybe um, things that go back to the past, if there's pornography or maybe there's there's a witchcraft paraphernalia or whatever. Just going through and cleaning everything out, anointing the home. And getting it a place where God's presence dwells in power. And Lord, I just pray for that, that you would release that. And Lord, that you would increase our love right now for people. Our love for our spouses. you to, to wash out the polluted waters of the past. Father, I speak that soul ties, ties from the past. Right now, they just be severed now. We break it. And what has come in anybody's life because of sexual sins of times past, we command that goes in Jesus' name right now. Including any health problems. If those health problems we speak, it be cursed and begin to wither and die and leave bodies. Lord, I'm asking you that you would re sanctify right now the temples of your people, that our spirit, soul, and body be washed in the blood of the Lamb, that your Holy Spirit fill us. And burn out whatever needs to go right now. Let your angels be released to minister. I feel that to remove what needs to go right now. Lord, I pray that you would release peace and glory in the homes. And seal them all. I speak a blessing over every person here, every person within the sound of my voice, that your home will be a sanctuary of God's rest and peace in His glory.
The sounds of joy and laughter will fill your home. Great peace and unconditional love and acceptance of one another will consistently and perpetually be in your home. That your home will be a place of order where things are in order before the Lord. A place of unity. A place that's free from any strife, that it's, it's filled with God's peace. A place of glory and blessed marriages that are enriching and fulfilling for you. I bless you now. I just feel the Holy Spirit saying to not allow any type of condemnation from your past to creep up right now. Because the Bible says if you've really prayed about it and repented, He said that He's faithful and just to forgive you for your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Meaning that now where there used to be polluted waters, now there's pure water before the Lord that's there. And don't ever see yourself the old person. The Apostle Paul said, Many of you used to be these things, but now you're children of God. You used to be that, but now you're a child of God. You know, we all could say, well, we used to be this, that, or the other, but now we are a holy, righteous men and women of God, forgiven and cleansed. All those old things have passed away. Everything's become new. You are a new creature. You're a new creation and I feel that there's somebody within the sound of my voice you've had a hard time because in the past you viewed yourself a certain way and you were told that in fact God has, has dealt with you about the way you see yourself anyway he dealt with you about that in the past and it's like the enemy tries to bring that up sometimes but I'm going to tell you that you deep down you know this but you're righteous you're holy now you know this don't let the devil do that. When the enemy tries to, to bring condemnation, when the enemy tries to bring condemnation, rebuke him. Don't put up with it.